0: on the verge on the verge is also brought to you by green scene green scene is a family owned company recognized as the sizzle award winner for outdoor living in williamson county we design and construct areas to blend with the natural landscape of your yard that can include outdoor spaces gazebos fire pits outdoor kitchens and yes putting greens We understand the importance of your home. That's why we never settle for anything but the best. Green Scene also provides multiple teams with professional landscape maintenance, irrigation, and outdoor lighting. Welcome to On the Verge. Today's special guest is an executive life coach at Alchemy Life Coaching. She's traveled a long distance and found her newest destination in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm super excited to have her. Sally and Edmondson, how are you today?
1: I'm great, thank you. And hopefully this is my ultimate destination rather than just the next one.
0: Ah, that, would be, that would be really cool because I'm really excited because I, I met you at a party through amicable and like realtors, right? So I sold my house, you were buying the house, and that's how we ended up here. Right, and hopefully we got this um, this Impact 23 coming up. Maybe I'll get a chance to see you there. But I'm really fascinated as an executive life coach, and the opportunities that you have helping people through business and or trials and tribulations that life always throws our way. It's fascinating to see people's confidence wane and explode, give and get away. You know, at the end of the day. Your job is almost like a psychologist as it pertains to helping people do something that they actually already know how to do, but they're either afraid to make a mistake or they've made so many mistakes that they're afraid to move forward without coaching. What led you to be an executive coach? And what is it that you feel offers you the best opportunity here in Nashville, Tennessee?
1: Well, I think that the biggest um, input for me that I have for people is to help them see their potential and realize it. Like we all know what potential is, is when we see it in people, when it's met, when it's unmet. And I think we often have transitions in life where we actually have a chance to reinvent ourselves. So I help people to take that opportunity and actually do what they always meant to do with it rather than just not
0: (laughs) what do you think is the biggest limitation for most people
1: um not looking at the evidence of their life that they can actually achieve what they set their mind to Mm -hmm. um one category of people that i work with a lot are what i'd call hyperachievers. um it's the kind of baseline culture of most western economies that we push ourselves harder and harder um but when our self-worth is so tangled up in actually achieving things and then we don't and we hit those inevitable roadblocks, it can really knock your confidence. And sometimes you actually pull back on your dreams and you don't go for the big thing unless it's a dead cert. And I help people to see maybe the big things, there's a path to it.
0: Oh, excellent. I think that, you know, it's, it's interesting because we had, we had a chance to get together earlier this year and like how you were seeing that what I do as in coaching golf and helping people achieve their best and what it is that you're doing are eerily similar is that the sport that I coach will knock you down, whether you like it or not, life will knock you down, whether you like it or not. Adversity and struggle is part of the deal and how you internalize certain struggles can careen you off the path that you're destined to be on. And you have to, help people recognize it was a bump in the road, not a blown up bridge that you're never gonna be able to cross. Who were your biggest influences that helped you be a hand holding guider in people's lives?
1: I think I put that into two categories. The first thing I did and I think we've talked about this before is I was a realtor in Dubai so yeah. I was living in Dubai in Abu Dhabi for the last 15 years before I ended up here in Nashville and people that I have coached through a house buying process are very um, emotionally tangled up in that process. It's like a, it's, it's a big deal, deal to them so it's quite an intimate experience helping people choose where they're going to live and the things that I notice about those people that are incredibly successful is they're able to make a decision, even if it's the wrong decision. They they trust in their ability to pull it back. So it's like in entrepreneurship this is the same happy to make experiments to fail fail fast mm-hmm. and then get back on track so that was a big lesson I learned from the successful people that I helped as a realtor and then the, the other is many private influences I watch and listen to podcasts like my life depends on it um, Jordan Peterson is someone that I listen to a lot he talks about taking responsibility for your life mm-hmm. you know the ball's in our court at the yeah. end of the day to use a sports metaphor
0: yeah absolutely jordan peterson's phenomenal and i I think he brings a level of wisdom but it's also really streamlined it's not vague it's very pinpointed in his delivery and he there obviously there's a wiggle room for you to explore and discover but the process that you need to be on there aren't that many ways to be great at something there's not just one way but there aren't many ways and many people, the fear of failing, I would imagine, I would imagine your take on this. Do you find that the fear of failing is greater than the desire to achieve for most of your
1: clients? Fear of failing. I think sometimes we get so caught up in what success looks like Mm -hmm. that we can't see the wood for the trees and we get overwhelmed so it it can be about fear of failing at that point when you choke and oh you're so caught up in the moment i'm having this important negotiation with somebody or i have this thing that i have to do and there's all this subconscious messaging running in the background what if this doesn't work out and then it makes you awkward in conversation with people Mm. um so that gets in the way but i think there's shiny object syndrome sometimes we we need to find what our strengths are what our potential for talent development is and lean into the things that are meant for us yeah. and learn how to separate the signal from the noise mm-hmm.
0: so you, you previously were selling real estate in dubai and abu dhabi and now you are a life coach and you've moved to nashville tennessee in in this this, you've done, you're basically living an example of what it is that you do. Like you have made the transition and you're excelling and you' following a process to be just as excellent as a life coach as you were at selling real estate. You've actually just combined the skills that you learned in that market to put it into this market. How has it gone How has that transition gone from realtor to life coach? And what what does it look like when people reach out to you uh, to help you in the life coaching arena?
1: Well, the transition from from realtor to to life coach is all tangled up in the transition from the Middle East experience, where I was for 15 years, and... um, And then getting here in the u.s so there's a whole story that fits in the middle there about traveling and meeting my american husband which Mm -hmm. is how i ended up to to be here and then making the decision to transition to coaching because i found the real the real estate stuff was really like a microcosm of coaching as you're 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 coaching people through that transition Mm -hmm. uh but i think the common thread for me is that obviously I'm British. You can tell from the accent. Mm-hmm. So I was in the middle East for 15 years. I had a profound experience of being alone there, having to rebuild my own life after, um, a divorce and then starting as a, a, a realtor and setting my sights on, okay, this is for me now. What, what do I want to do with my life? It was a real, um, moment of reinvention for me. Mm-hmm. Um, And I really knew that I needed to find a way to figure out first what I wanted, what even that looked like, what I wanted, what my boundaries were, what my values were, what was gonna be important Mm -hmm. to me in life when I finally left the Middle East. how will I look back on that experience and recognize that I took everything out of it that I could. So I got really intentional with my own life and that took me into real estate first. Mm-hmm. And then through that process has brought me here to, to Nashville to say, right, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm about four years into coaching now. That's how long um, I've been doing it. But I'm now so happy that I'm here for, for the long run and can build a coaching practice from from the bottom up and do a lot of work with people one-to-one and in person. I do coach online, but I I am really enjoying the process of making that uh, community and personal experience. Mm -hmm.
0: It's fascinating what COVID did for us. And it did a lot of negative things for us. But one of the things it did do for us is it gave us an online platform to do business anywhere in the world, anytime during the day that you couldn't do in person. And it's interesting that you say like you do online as in in person, but when we first met, you were almost predominantly all online. Yeah, And that's it. That's, there aren't many gifts of COVID, but one of the gifts of COVID is people began to reinvent ways to survive financially in a situation where, you know, we were very fortunate to have a level of freedom here in Tennessee that. Many of the other states didn't have, but it allowed you to continue to progress in your business, without necessarily being able to meet in person. How much do you feel like that has spearheaded and kind of exploded your trajectory in your business model as a life coach?
1: Um, I think there's probably two aspects of COVID that that helped life coaching out as a profession the first is that everyone got on the same page with zoom all at the same time i'm mm-hmm. as great for me as an expat as well being able to connect with my fairly elderly parents, you know, just necessity is the mother of invention or intention. People uh. just knew they have to, had to work this stuff out. So there's that, and it means that you can continue to access um, people from all over the world. I've coached people in Singapore, in Australia, in uh, the UAE, in Saudi Arabia, here in the U.S., and in Europe. I mean, the world is your oyster, mm-hmm. so you can find your audience. For a very specific problem, which is people navigating a life transition and recognizing that that might be an opportunity to reinvent themselves, you can find your audience anywhere. But the other thing I think that the experience of COVID did—it was like the great reset. Everyone suddenly left their office environment, even for a time, and recognized that. Hang on a minute, like maybe there's something about this working from home and having more freedom and like getting out of that stuck pattern. It was that pattern interrupt yeah. for all of us to suddenly look at our lives and say, well, how, how did I get here? And is this where I want to be? I think there was an awful lot of self-reflection mm-hmm. that happened during that period and again i think that's what relocation or a promotion or a divorce or some other big junction in your life tends to do is to say did i mean to drift where i drifted to sometimes it's death by a thousand paper cuts you just move gradually you don't really notice that you're doing it's like the boiling frog analogy Mm -hmm. and then if something wakes you up and i truly believe that we We maybe have two, three, four moments in life where we suddenly get that awareness. We we zoom out of ourselves and say, is this where I'm meant to be on purpose? Am I living an intentional life? Uh And that junction is an opportunity for you to turn all of your struggles into gifts into the foundation of the next phase of your life so i suppose looking at my own transition all of that real estate experience all of that expatriate experience all of the things that happened to me to bring me now here to nashville where we intend to stay is that's my bedrock Mm -hmm. to now grow something with everything that i've i've learned about life and myself um yeah i love
0: that before I get into deep, I'm I'm, I'm fascinated because I like to dispel rumors. Okay, how were you treated as a female in the Middle East, and were you able to thrive in the business world and real estate, even though you were a female, or did you feel like there was there were limitations that that culture puts on the female as it pertains to how successful you can be?
1: Well, that's a I mean that's a huge question, but um, my easy answer is yeah i was treated impeccably um there's some real chivalry in um certainly my experience in the uae people refer to you as sister and let women cut in line and there's a lot of door opening and real respect um, Um, And interestingly, just as I was leaving the Middle East, there were a lot of directives in the UAE and Saudi Arabia about a certain percentage of women should be on boards. So there's a huge uh, market of, of... women who are stepping into more senior roles hmm. and and actually maybe needing coaching to bridge that gap because they haven't necessarily always felt themselves to be on that trajectory uh-huh. uh but i had a great deal of freedom there and i thought I, I was treated very reasonably I, you, you don't have to cover in in the UAE. you can drive cars there was a lot of sure. people said oh well, you know are you allowed to do xyz and you most people that visited me whilst i was in dubai said This place has had the most um, misperception that when I showed up here, it was nothing like I was expecting it to be. Yeah,
0: I think that that's what I wanted to, I wanted to know that personally, because my sister is a Marine, okay, and she fought uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan. And uh, obviously, those two countries are not Dubai or the United Arab Emirates, I get all that. But she said that it was harrowing how different it was. So I just thought that I love to dispel, like we can't throw a blanket over all of the Middle East. Yeah.
1: There's a lot of cultural nuance. There's a lot of just nuance in general. So mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things I've been talking about a lot recently with people is context. Context is so important. Context is important for me as I navigate a new culture, a new country. And you would think that the UK, Europe, is very similar to the US, but boy, there's a lot of differences that if you just take for granted, but context understanding other people and culture and what you're bedded within is it really important to thriving. So yeah, the context for Dubai and Abu Dhabi often a little off yeah. for people that haven't been there.
0: Fascinating. Well, thank you for that because that, to me well, I dedicated most of 2021 to interviewing female executives and getting uh hitching a ride on their their trajectory ride from you know post college to navigating you know you know regular employment to moving into the C suite to becoming the CEO or the president of something, and it was a really eye opening experience for me as most of them told me the same story, and they were all. They, not only a couple of them knew each other, and they all told me the same story, and I was just like thinking, like I would love to know how you were treated there, so that I. I can do a little bit more less fake news and more real news as it pertains to what's what's really going on. So that's interesting.
1: Well, actually, another thing that I'd like to add on to that is certainly the experience of being a realtor. And again, to give you context, in the UAE, it's 80% expatriates. There's a huge expatriate population. I mean, maybe only Singapore has the same um, I, I don't know what the stats are in mm. Singapore, but it's really an unusual place to be because you are surrounded by so many different cultures and such diversity. Interesting. But nevertheless, as a realtor, I often found myself in the room with very um, influential, powerful, wealthy men. And I did feel that I had to be in a certain energy to counter whatever it was that they needed uh-huh. to close the deal. I had to show up in a certain way. And I was very much in a masculine energy. And I would sometimes come home and be like, I just want to, you know, bake a cake and make a nice meal and feel feminine. Mm -hmm. Um, So I did already notice that nuance and that difference that just having to show up in like a high stakes environment compared to how you want to live your life. And I remember having a conversation with my sister who herself is a very um, successful female executive about how well women had thrived as managers during COVID. Um, And She said to me, well, you know, what if for women being a female is your superpower in the office? It's not about trying to put men's shoes on and do it like a man. Mm -hmm. What does leading like a woman look like? Is there more empathy? Is there more curiosity? Is there a different paradigm when you're a female leader? Mm -hmm. And so that's definitely something that I love to lean into with coaching. Both men and women, but in this specific case, coaching women yeah. to like to see those things that you have that are unique strengths for you. How does that show up in, in your leadership journey?
0: Yeah, I would also probably imagine that you could arguably say, without a doubt, that balance at the in the boardroom is oftentimes a successful ingredient in a company versus one iron fist and eleven yaysayers. You know, everybody just says yes to the person who's really in charge, versus having a variety of different perspectives from a variety of different life experiences to make the best decision for the largest percentage of people. Would you Would you say that that's what you're experiencing?
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It, it, I was just thinking of a, another kind of Jordan Peterson trope there, where he he talks about how other people tap us into sanity, and you need to it's not just your experience on your own is your truth because you have to live in society and in community with other people so those diverse opinions around you can help you to understand how you may need to modify your beliefs if you've just got 15 people around you that say yes to everything you get a very warped sense of your power in the world and the reality of mm-hmm. things so so bouncing your ideas off a varied board or a you know, diverse community of people, I think is is important for, again, context.
0: Yeah, so true. What would you say is your process or your system that you employ when somebody reaches out to you for the first time to get your expertise on helping them, whether it be through business or life, become the best version of themselves?
1: Yeah, well, usually when people <clears throat> come to me, they're kind of overwhelmed. If they are navigating new territory... Um, Again, it's a signal noise thing. Everything looks important when you don't know where you are and you're understanding new territory and it can lead to a lot of overwhelm. So before often we can get clear about where someone is going, we need to just tackle that piece. It's like the um, Navy SEALs, um, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Like, slow down to speed up. Yeah. So the first thing I usually take people through is um, a six-week boot camp, uh, mental fitness boot camp. This is not my gig. This is uh, Positive Intelligence, which is uh, Sherzad Shameen, he's a Stanford lecturer, Mm -hmm. um, was the um, CEO of CTI, Coach Training Institute, for about seven years as well. But his um, kind of boiled down all of positive psychology, sports psychology, Um, understanding neuroscience, all of this boiled down into a baseline of the ways that we sabotage ourselves, the different ways that we get into our own head. It can be avoidance. Um, Well, tell me if you recognize some of these characters, the the pleaser, the avoider, the hyperachiever, the hypervigilant, the victim, the stickler, there's 10. And the judge, which everybody has. We always are judging ourselves, or judging others or judging our circumstance. Mm-hmm. I'll be happy when, but not now. I, I need to achieve this thing before I can be happy. Mm-hmm. So we do this six-week boot camp, and it helps people to just catch when they're having those thoughts. Self-talk is something we don't often talk about, so true. but it's so present for all of us. And really, you've got to make friends with yourself first before you can um, really control your brain to take it where you, you want it to take you. Correct. If you're constantly sabotaging yourself, and we all are, it's an evolutionary kind of hang back. There's, there's nothing that you can... Um, blame people for but you can we've we've learned so much about neuroplasticity yeah. in the last 5 or 10 years that there's really a great deal of control that you can have but it does start with an effortful process at first mm-hmm. of just cashing your mind no nope, pull it back so we do these moments of mindfulness during the day it's all very uh, supported by an app so that tends to be the start and that will help you to calm down and start to see the wood for the trees and then i take people into a through a four-month process of looking at their values looking at the things that they need to have met in their life to feel that they thrive and through that process it starts to emerge what is going to be a good fit for you, what your strengths are, what ways you can find the situation you're in now and bring the strengths and the things that are your secret source out in your life. You don't have to have a goal that's really clear at the beginning. Again, another Jordan Peterson thing, he talks about there's a star, just orient yourself towards the star. And you may not have an accurate perception of where it is where it's going to take you but you can iterate that journey that process as you go so when you've self-reflected and uncovered precisely what just captures your attention and your imagination and really just lights you up that that's your guidance that's your guidance for the direction that you ought to be going in and what's going to give your life meaning and and purpose and happiness yeah uh, and then it gets a little, I'd say towards the end of coaching, it tends to get more nuanced depending on what, what works for you. It may be someone wants to do Gallup Strengths Finder or Clifton Strengths, as it's now called, to really figure out their strengths and how they play together. Or it may be that for someone, um, imagery and metaphor and just moments of taking themselves out of the situation, looking at an image or a metaphor that describes where they are now and inquire, making inquiries into that to then relate it back to their situation. Maybe that's what's really doing it for you. So I'll tend to get a little bit more nuanced in the techniques that we're using as, as it's clear what's working for people yeah. because we're all different.
0: So true. Like being present is often a challenge for people. And then being present and understanding their own personal nuances. Like the traumas that everybody faces creates roadmaps on how they handle adversity. Some people walk in and are more apt for conflict, not afraid to, so to speak, fight it out. Other people run depending on the level of violence that they had to face at the very first time they faced conflict. And that usually is the, the beginning of the roadmap is what was the first thing that happened that you chose to use to survive trauma? And then however you navigated that, and it worked because you're still alive, your brain almost takes a little dopamine hit from, oh, that worked. So now anytime I face adversity, I'm going to do this. Now, I would probably say 8 and 10 are avoidant because they don't want the pain. They don't want the confrontation. They don't want to walk into the struggle. But I think if there's anything that I've learned through my own, I took from the great basketball player Kobe Bryant which was he said anytime there was conflict on the team, he directly walked into it and got it over with as fast as possible. And that is the exact opposite thing. I was taught when I was a kid. It was the exact opposite thing that I ever saw in my life. My, my, what I was watching in my life was avoidance of conflict, being agreeable, even when, you, when what you were agreeing to was not what you wanted to occur, but just so that you didn't have to deal with anger, violence, uh, really harsh outcomes, then they, they could be harsh, dependent on you know all kinds of situations. It could be you know harsh but only words, and it could be harsh it could be really terrible words and/ or physical pain. So there is this weird place of watching how somebody initially coped with struggle and then that's the route that you're trying to help them navigate through because that's a habit that is largely instilled into the brain prior to their conscious awareness and that is the ultimate challenge that I face coaching golf I don't really do that much life coaching but I'm headed in that direction especially after my TED talk that I did right so I'm headed in that direction I know that I am So now it's just like, what am I going to be able to learn from all the coaching that I've done to help people play the best golf they've ever played, to be able to help them in a situation that's similar to what you're doing? And finding the root cause of the problem is ultimately what we're here for. Because if, and it takes a lot of, you have to ask a lot of really good questions.
1: Right. Really good questions. Like that
0: is like, that's another Jordan Peterson thing the people who are the smartest the people that are the most successful aren't the ones that have all the best answers they have all the best questions
1: yeah well because a question is an opportunity for you to uh, allow people to talk and explore things out loud like yeah. we we've it's difficult to think and i, I think something i recognize even when i was a teenager it was like hmm, if i've got something running around in my head and i'm not really clear on it if i if i sit down and unburden myself to somebody. What I'm also doing in that process is explaining it to myself. I'm having to tap it into shape and get clarity about what i think rather than just being a big mess in my head um i mean i i feel careful to point out that coaching is not the same as therapy or counseling or too much going back into the past it's not that we never talk about the past but if something's an active trauma in your life i will refer you to someone that can help you with anxiety or you know i cannot diagnose that so I i will make sure that you're um seeing someone that can help you with those traumas but you do see the remnants of, like you say, childhood coping strategies will probably be dependent on our personality types. So we'll, there will be two people in one family that one becomes aggressive or um, confrontational more easily and then somebody that's avoidant and is a pleaser. And that will be based on their levels of agree- agreeableness and... Um, their neuroticism, like things on the, the big five personality scale. Mm-hmm. But they become habitual because they they worked. And so when we look at the saboteurs in this six-week boot camp, many people come with, um, and especially, especially women, I think women tend very slightly towards agreeableness on the agreeableness scale. I don't have very high agreeableness. So it's very interesting for me to work with people who have the pleaser saboteur Mm -hmm. to recognize that it's not just about always pleasing people it comes with a large dose often of resentment like i'm doing these things for people and i'm not getting my needs met well did you do you know what your needs are did you ask Mm -hmm. for your needs to be met have you put boundaries in place with people so that they know when's too much or what you wanted not wait until there's a big blow up and then all of your frustration and your resentment comes out in one go. Like, yeah. how do you take responsibility then for getting your needs met and not having to only please people as a way to make safety for yourself? You, yeah. you know, being shunned, being um, knocked out of the group is, is a deep human fear. So pleasing is a strategy for not being um, rejected. But ironically, people trust us more when they know where our edges are. When they actually know, oh, that was too far, or, you know, this person has a really hard line about this and doesn't always say yes when I'm really, like, taking the mickey with a request. People like that. They feel feel comfortable when they know where your edges are. So define them for them, and it will be a service to both of you.
0: Interesting. That is absolutely spot on. And I think that 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 was a good point that you made, that you're not trying to be a therapist. You're trying to be a coach. And to be able to refer when you recognize that something's, this isn't a a business problem. This is something that's much deeper Hmm. than 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 just a decision that you're trying to make. This is a this is a long standing issue that you need professional help, you know, dealing with. That's a very good point because at the end of the day, I'd probably say eighty percent of the people that you're dealing with just have some bad habits that they're having to cope with as it pertains to their decision making processes or goal setting or, you know, their own boundaries. But then there's twenty percent that are doing things on a level that is so subconscious because of things that have happened to them beforehand and they're making sometimes they're making decisions and they don't even know why they did it that way.
1: Right. And when we're not making any progress or something's you know, we're kind of really stuck and there's something you've got to go unravel. That's you know that's when there's an opportunity to to refer out, and I really take the ethics of my profession seriously, mm-hmm. um so I am cautious always to be looking out for that
0: well it's it's fascinating because i you know you you come from one of the greatest places that I've ever visited, London. You moved to a place that I haven't yet gone but really want to go to Dubai, and now you've moved to where I've lived for the last twenty seven years. Well how has your experience from Nashville I mean coming from Dubai to Nashville been a positive one or a negative one compared to your expectations?
1: Oh all positive i mean i I would like to think that, and I think you made reference to this at the beginning i 'm really trying to model what I hope to um, alight in people. In my own life. Mm-hmm. And the most beautiful thing, and I'm, I'm pushing a year nearly that I've been in Nashville, is my husband and I came with such intentions. It was very much an intentional decision. Um, I mean, I've been fortunate enough to travel the world, make friends, meet people from from just all over the, the world. Um, 63 countries I think I'm going to hit. I'm, I'm traveling. Ooh. Yeah. Tra- traveling in December and that will be my 63rd. And from all of those places, we picked Nashville. And there was a very intentional reason for that. When you've been an expat, you are living with the experience of yeah, navigating new territory and having your eyes opened and all that like, wonder and awe at seeing the world. And like it opens your eyes mm-hmm. and you can never really go back to that so Uh if you then put yourself in you know some rural town where nobody's ever left and they might be having wonderful satisfying lives but they're not like you then there's going to be a part of you that's not seen Uh and it was really important to me that that I could find expression for the experience that I've had in my life with people that were maybe reasonably cosmopolitan I'd traveled a bit maybe around the us or maybe internationally and i find that here in nashville as it's growing i know that um it's really there's a lot of people moving here at the moment Mm -hmm. but and i really i i love the um the nashville um project with uh, what's what's it called with all the 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 expressions like don't ask nashville to change for you Mm -hmm. that's really that's really important um Because also there are people here who want community. That southern hospitality is a real thing. Mm -hmm. My next door neighbour came and uh, dropped off a loaf of bread the morning I arrived. I'm involved in the local neighbourhood community stuff. It's really, really important to me that I know my neighbours and that it seems that Nashville is a small enough city. So many people have said that if you want to make an impact here, you can. You can... Make connections with people, and you can really get that sense of continuity. That maybe in London, it's ri- really a, a little bit more extreme, and you you may not see the same people in the street twice. But you can really build a foundation, I think, in Nashville. So it's got that what is it like, big smit city, small town yeah. feel, it and really that was does. just just the right balance for um, for what I wanted from from my life. But I've also been very intentional with just the way I've set my house up. Um, we have, I have a, an office home where I meet people in person for coaching, but I have another room given over to group coaching sessions. And I've been running these meetup groups, which are pro bono. They're just my pay it back, pay it forward Mm -hmm. gift to Nashville to bring people together because one of my biggest values is connection and community. And I've been welcomed in and I want other people who are coming to Nashville or who've been here for a long time Mm -hmm. to, to find an opportunity to make their way and make connections with people so so i'd like to think part of my mission here is to be a crucible for that to happen so yeah we've given over a room of our house to have community meetings and meet up groups and you know small groups 15 16 people to come together in conversation and just be human and be real and be in the same room with each other with a sort of space of um sanctity Mm -hmm. really of that those deep life coaching type conversations can have and i love the group coaching experience because it's only in conversation with others that you realize the things you're struggling with are so universal
0: oh yeah so true
1: can relieve a lot of the burden when Mm -hmm. you recognize it's not just you
0: yeah for sure most people feel like they're on an island by themselves when they find out they're really just on this big ball cold earth you know i think that that's I mean, that's basically the whole reason for my podcast is I get a chance to introduce people to my listeners in a deep dive connected conversation. Because our world is bizarrely more connected and less connected than it's ever been simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the word connection, we just have to find a better word for connection. Because there are people that have so many connections through their phone that they're overwhelmed with connections but they're not nourishing their soul. It's padding their stats, but it's not filling them up. It's maybe putting bullet holes in the cup, but it's not really it's not really holding the water. You don't fill up. You're just constantly giving and giving and giving and not getting because everything that you're doing, you're trying to get connection, but it's a fake connection. It's through media not so much person to person and I think that coming out of COVID the de- the desire and the need for people to be reconnected has never been more palpable than it is right now
1: mm, I yeah I totally agree with that and, and again it's I think a process of self reflection on what fills you up do you actually recognize it when you're in it what mm. do you want to express like a relationship any relationship is a an opportunity for you to create something new with that person, be it a conversation or an experience, or open some part of your personality up and who we surround ourselves with really matters. What one thing I often talk about for people that are navigating a transition is get your people landscape sorted out first because that will help to give you context and it will give you the support that you need. We are um, creatures that need to be in connection with other people and part of a community mm-hmm. um, being an island is not helpful mentally or emotionally and so yeah pick pick intentionally what you want to create in the relationships of your life and I know that sounds like well how can I just manifest friends but hey you got to go put yourself in the places where, where you're going to find people for yep. you. you you know it Back in Dubai, just as I um, made the transition from Abu Dhabi to Dubai and I was rebuilding my life. And I you know, said at the beginning, I, I was like, well, what am I going to regret if I leave here and I haven't done it? And I, I knew that I needed to create a new friendship group. And I was kind of starting from scratch mm-hmm. and also I wanted to travel. And the reason that I have created now a wonderful community of international friends is through my travel experiences. But how did I come up with that? idea for myself i i thought what what makes me feel alive when no one's looking what do i mm. need to do for me that it doesn't really matter if this is being observed or it's something that i'm feeding my own soul with and for me it was the the awe and the curiosity and the adventurousness of seeing the world and beautiful landscapes and getting to interact with people in other countries and if i do that in the company of people who are like me because they're also on these trips because these were like organized group travel trips you could just show up as a single person and Mm -hmm. be part of uh instant community and you're so very present in the moment when you're travelling so that's what did it for me then I come back home and these people are in my city and like we we make a little community of like minded people and sometimes you've got to get narrow and really understand what it is that you want Mm. I mean this might not work for everyone maybe you're all about playing board games or Dungeons and Dragons or going to lectures or whatever it is but go do the things that on your own that light you up and you'll find your people there because they're mm, also doing it yeah. too.
0: Yeah, you're, you just beat me to like the end of my podcast because, like, the second part of my podcast, which we're, we're about ready to transition to, is where we've done a great job for about 50 minutes describing what it is that you do that drains your batteries, all the things that you do to pour in to others to help. But you just gave it away. It's like for you to like the reason why 70,000 people show up to see Taylor Swift, the reason why the Broadway is sold out every night is because it's something that brings a lot of like-minded people together to share in something that builds a level of community, but like-mindedness, you feel like you're a part of something bigger than just yourself. And it is so important. Why, that's what I'm saying, like why do 100,000 people go to a college football game? Why is... You know, why do all the sports and all the entertainment, why is it almost always sold out? It's because people are attracted to either competition or art or a combination of the two. And when you find out what drives you, you go there and you're surrounded by a large amount of similar minded people. And then you get to kind of pick and choose the people that really impact you when you meet them. And that's so absolutely right on the button on what it takes to make it in this world. If you're alone, what makes you tick when nobody's looking? is probably one of the best things I've heard this year. What gives me like the energy, the light when nobody's looking at me and then chase that and you will find more people just like you. And then there's your connections. And then it just begins to extrapolate outwards in a very powerful way. Almost like in a, uh, for lack of a better term, it's just like an explosion.
1: Yeah, it's magical. I mean, you gave me goosebumps in what you were describing because you hit on maybe my most powerful joy in life, which is shared experience. Like being in community with people, it could be a concert. It could, like when we got married we Decided we would have line dancing there, and I know it's a little bit naff for this is an English word. Sorry, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of people in um, the UK that absolutely love country music, but for me, all da- having them dance in a room together in this silly like explosion of um playfulness mm-hmm. was like it took them out of themselves for a moment. Mm-hmm. Going to a concert, all standing on a mountaintop and like looking at something to together. I mm-hmm. mean, one thing that I'd I don't even know if I've referenced this with you before but big shared experience that changed my life was um, climbing Kilimanjaro um, I did that probably 9-10 years ago but doing it with 12 other people is the thing that made the experience not just for me yeah. but we, we were all going through this tribulation together and the bond that it created I mean we're, it's, it's still strong now Mm-hmm. A decade later, these people are in my life because we went through something together. And, oh, I mean, that's that's the beauty in life. That it's, is. it's transcendent to have a shared experience with people where you just all feel on the same page, even if momentarily. It's like it's, it's a harmony, like music, that just makes you feel alive. Yeah.
0: So I've, I've been very fortunate because I've interviewed a lot of former Tennessee Titans. Right. And maybe maybe the greatest one Eddie George and Eddie was very candid in my interview with him. And he said, you know, I don't miss the game. I miss the guys. I miss the guys in the locker room. I miss the huddle. I missed, I miss the, like the, we went into battle together for years. That's what I miss. I miss the guys. I don't miss the football. And I'm like, that's interesting to hear. It's like, Kilimanjaro, for you, was the Super Bowl for him. Mm-hmm. So you conquer Kilimanjaro, he gets to the Super Bowl, but when you've done it and you come back down, it's not Kilimanjaro that you miss. It's the, the people that you went with that went through it all with you is what you really miss.
1: Yeah, I can't imagine it would have been the same experience to do it solo. Like, oh, props to guys that do it, but um Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, can, can you just like imagine? Which is kind of what it is that you do as well. Can you imagine the wiring of a person who would get the like the inner joy of conquering Kilimanjaro by himself or herself? That's a different wiring.
1: Right. Right.
0: That's a different wiring.
1: Yeah, that's the uh, the the great uh, Iron Man uh, people.
0: Mm-hmm. No doubt. Well, as it pertains to my show and the feedback that I get, the most popular part of it is this part on perseverance. And the perseverance piece is interesting because everybody's going through something. What is the one thing that you faced in your life that when you were going through it, you weren't sure you were going to make it through? But once you did, it steeled your resolve to know that you could handle anything. What was it that you had to deal with?
1: Well, I mean, it has to be Kilimanjaro again, because that was a real, that was the most real time, real life. Oh, I can really see the correlation to this being like a metaphor for everything Mm. that you do in your life. So it's six days up, uh, two days down. I I also did Everest Base Camp, which is oddly almost to the meter, the same height Um, and same deal when we were huddled together on the mountain it's like minus 20 degrees and gonna have to convert that into your temperature mm-hmm. really cold <laughs> well yeah. below freezing yeah um and and the guy that was leading our group one of us said we talk about climbing a mountain or have a mountain of paperwork oh it's like conquering a mountain all the time we use that metaphor daily but tonight all of us, because you leave at 11pm so that you can make it to the summit before everything starts melting and the rocks get loose. Mm. But tonight, we are all of us going to understand what it really means to climb a mountain. And there were moments, five hours in, when I'm taking steps of an inch at a time. So slowly, it was just, but as long as you're moving forward. And when I rewind to the first day where you can see how far away this mountain is it just looks unbelievable you can't get your head around the fact that you're going to be stood on top of that in a few days time Mm -hmm. but how do you climb a mountain like one step at a time yeah and sometimes it's an inch forward at a time but as long as you're not going backwards you're still
0: that's exactly right wow that is really interesting what a great metaphor Fantastic. Well, the second half the shows the things you do to re- recharge your batteries, and you've kind of given in away, and I've already kind of talked about it, which is the, the the things that generally people do to recharge are the things that every like they get into a like minded group of people, and you go do something together that fills up your cup. One of the things that I've heard over and over again, plus reading your uh, your profile, is you love to travel. Travel is a big deal to you. What's the coolest place you've ever been?
1: Coolest place I've ever been is probably the island of Socotra, which is part of Yemen, mm. off the coast of Yemen, and it's I think it's one of the most remote, um, one of the most remote islands. But something like eighty percent of the species of flora and fauna there are indigenous to the island much like madagascar is like that like there's a lot of really interesting plants there Hmm. so um yeah i have i have a photo i pull it out every now and again sticking on a post of me stood at the top of this um yeah it was a hike it wasn't a mountain um stood looking out to sea over this incredible landscape hard to describe um and then behind me i know there's there's a a mountain rock pool with people swimming like Deep enough to swim in with people behind me, and then later on that same day, we were down in the valley, and there are these um, dragons' blood trees, which look a bit like monkey trees. They're so complex looking that they're, and they and they and they they bleed red sap when you um, oh, cut wow. them. That's why they're called dragons' blood trees, and they look like cartoon stick trees that kids would draw. They're f- just incredibly strange so yeah and having a picnic surrounded by all of these trees in this fantasy land it was like being in um a lewis carroll or something <laughs>
0: wow how cool is that yeah 63 countries are we getting ready to go to your 63rd where where is one place that you haven't gone yet you can't wait to go
1: do you know i haven't done any of south america really yeah so I definitely need to do Machu Picchu for the kind of trifecta of Everest base camp, mm-hmm. not, the, not the top, Kili and Machu Picchu. Um, but yeah, this is a great thing about being in this location in the world is I get to go explore South America. But but also there's so much in the US to see. I do really mm. recognize that there's every climate from tropical to like freezing. Yeah. And there's a lot to see here as well, so I'm quite looking forward to seeing this half of the globe. Hmm. Interesting.
0: When you were growing up, who were your favorite musicians or bands that you listened to?
1: Mm-mm. That's that's interesting because I had I've always had very eclectic musical tastes and I don't know whether I can tell you who who is a favorite i I just i'm i'm all over the place i'm Hmm. about variety everything from uh, classical music to rock to country music that was a big thing Mm. dolly parton can i say dolly parton yeah absolutely (laughs) that's great but i don't want to be put in a box yeah
0: oh sure it's (laughs) just like to me like i think it's really important to like to distinguish much like what you do is like who like what moves you like what voice when you hear like just gets you in the right place. Dolly Parton is a certainly a great one to to have, but I mean, I've, there's no such thing as the only. But I just think it's interesting. What's the greatest concert you've ever been to?
1: Well, I just, I mean, got to be up there. Was just recently here in Nashville, the Arctic Monkeys. Oh, wow! They were phenomenal. It was like watching absolute gods on stage. They were incredibly charismatic just tight as anything and it was phenomenal but to your last point this is the thing that's common in all the music that I like really soulful lyrics thoughtful poetic lyrics with some key changes mm-hmm. that grab the soul and mm-hmm. that's what country music is often very good at Yeah. Um, but it can be the Arctic Monkeys or it can be Dolly Parton like it doesn't mm-hmm. matter where on the spectrum but I want the words to move me and to touch something in my experience that I haven't been able to encapsulate mm-hmm.
0: so Trevor I've, I've had the opportunity to interview some really big time musicians and they kind of delineate people as like you're either a beat person or a story person i'm a story person i need to be i need to follow somebody's story you know i i like my i'm a rock guy by and large but I have just because my boys are gigantic Morgan Wallen fans. And, you know, that then leads to like Luke Combs and Chris Stapleton and Hardy. And like I'm, when I'm in the car, I'm forced to listen to things that I otherwise wouldn't be listening to. But I do appreciate those. Uh, but I'm more of a rock guy. But what makes me like Morgan Wallen is that even though he generally talks about two things, he does a great job of vividly painting the picture for you. And I think that's a true gift. So recently, my favorite band is a rock band called Tool. I'm going to go see them soon. I'm going to go see them. Uh, it'll be like my 14th time. And I love it. They're unbelievably deep lyrically. And their music is It's getting mellower, but it's on the hard side of rock. But And I would say that one of their concerts that I went to was easily the best I've ever seen. But I have to say that maybe if you take my bias out because of how much I love them, I got a chance to see Taylor Swift this year at the stadium, at the football stadium. Now, I, you'll never hear me playing Taylor Swift in my car, just me chilling, going somewhere. But I respect the heck out of her talent. Mm. That show was dynamite. The most incredible thing. Uh, that was the most incredible concert for somebody who's not like a diehard. I mean, there were 74,000 people there. 73,000 of them are diehards, screaming Swifties. And then there's probably a bunch of dads there that, you know, they're there to take their daughter. Some husband's there just to take their wife. And I'm just sitting there thinking to myself, I love talent. I got a chance to see Pavarotti when he came here in the 90s. And I'm like, I'd never listen to this guy in my car. I would never play it in the house. But this might be the greatest of all time. I'm going to go check it out. So impressed. Like, I'm glad I got a chance to do it before he passed away. So, like, being in those scenarios, it's a moving thing. Because if I take my bias out, and it's not Pearl Jam or Tool, and it's just somebody that I want to go see just because it's an experience, and I don't throw my bias in it and I get blown away, that's the magic. Taylor Swift blew me away, because I would never think that I'd go see Taylor Swift in concert, but it's an event, so I'm like, I'm going to go see this, and then like, boom, whoa, that was incredible.
1: But, But that's it, it's someone who's mastered their craft, and isn't that what all of this is getting at, at the fundamental level, is watching somebody else model to you how they can manifest their potential oh, so and you when when someone's just completely in alignment you feel like it and it's inspiring And again, to bring in another analogy that Jordan Peterson has used, he talks about you watch gymnastics in competition and someone's done an incredible routine and the next person comes on and they know they've got to beat that. And you see them on the edge of of madness, just doing these flips and hurling themselves around just on the edge of their competence and mastery. And you know, they gave the performance of their life and and they land and stick the landing and everyone's out of their seats, cheering, shouting for them because it, it, it resonates on a human level with us when we see someone push to that edge of, of mastery and danger mm-hmm. and, and the sort of order and chaos all coming together. That is what true mastery looks like when you see someone like really stretching themselves mm-hmm. and, and it inspires you maybe to take a little step in your own life towards realizing that for yourself. Yeah.
0: I think one of the most important things, and we, we kind of talked about it before we got on the air, Is that if you don't get nervous, if you don't get kind of excited about what you're getting ready to do, you can't really excel. Because it's the energy that, like that combustion inside of you, of the energy of you trying to be the best that you can be, allows you to be better than you've ever been. And at the end of the day, flow state and or zone state. Now, flow states be deeper than zone, but they're pretty close. And that's where we reach our highest levels of performance are when we get pushed up to but not more than 20% past our best. But once we get to 21%, that's where we choke, where it gets way past what we can do. And then we, we get in our own heads, and we freak out because it's too dangerous, whether it be physically dangerous, emotionally, or mentally dangerous. Something is going to take us to a place where we can't go. That, to me, is the, is the genius of watching somebody... Watch somebody else who's really, really good, and they got to follow it. And whether they feel like that's 20% past their best or not. I love to watch what happens to people when you can feel the combustion inside of them, and they can keep it under 20% and watch them thrive, because it's really sad to watch somebody implode. Right. It's really sad, but it happens. But it's like, it's interesting. And all the studying that I've done, because if there's a person that I would recommend for you to to investigate a little bit is Stephen Kotler, K-O-T-L-E-R. He's probably the foremost authority in flow state information, how to get there, what goes on in the brain, how to get down from it, and understanding how to navigate people through that scary place of where you get between 15 to 20 percent but not go past 20 percent and to recognize like within you how do you get pushed to the very end of your greatness and not go one step past that and learning how to navigate your own personal flow without wrecking
1: right and as you create that capacity and you do i think i'm sure like push your limits further and further but it happens in like an iterative process yes absolutely um but as you're within that that capacity, you start to create space to think as well as... and to be present in the moment. Like, it's just space in the moment. If you can if you can ground yourself in a way so that you're you know hitting a great shot and you don't choke because you've kind of dropped down into your body and you're out of your head and you've you've made room for yourself Mm -hmm. to just trust your body's intuition your wisdom like your skill and let that come out from your unconscious it's when our mind tries to grab control back that we choke and and we mess up because it's not like a The thinking process sometimes is what we need to be in in, um, access to. Mm It's something that's a lot deeper than that.
0: Yeah, Eckhart Tolle, who's another Uh genius, right? I find that he said something in one of his books that really transformed my life, which was you talk all the time in golf about, you know, there's only two of the 17 flow triggers that can occur in golf because it's not dangerous. You know, surfers that are tackling 80-foot waves, they have all 17 available to them extreme mountain bikers have all 17 skydivers have all 17 golfers. There's not many things that are dangerous about it. Football's got like eight basketball's got six tennis has five. You know, at the end of the day, there's only so many things that can flip that switch into flow state. But he said it is impossible to achieve your highest level of performance. If you are not currently in immersive presence, Mm. So when I think about the greatest rounds of golf that I've played, the greatest rounds of golf that I was able to be close to as I coached it, any of the greatest things that I've experienced, whether by doing or by watching, came from a level of physical, emotional, or mental danger that forced that person into that moment, into a sink or swim place where he went, into immediate, immersive present, being present, And didn't get ahead of himself or get wound up in a bad decision that they made just prior that put him in this spot. Mm. And that to me was one of the greatest gifts that I've given because it is not difficult to train presence. Right. It's not. It's difficult to get people out of the idea that they have any control of what's going to happen one minute from now. And we get this false illusion of control. All the time, because when we're doing good work, but maybe not being tested, we're just doing good work, we feel like there's a level of control that we have. But only when we're up against something else can we learn that maybe that's not enough. And the only way to counter that is to be immersively present. And when I figured out how to be able to coach immersive presence versus just even seven seconds ahead That's when I realized the power of the mind. And then that's when I got addicted to like the golf swings boring to me versus how do I get you to be immersively present right now? Because that's where the gold is. The silver is maybe looking a little bit ahead or maybe looking a little bit backward to try to learn from something, but immersive presence is where the greatness lies.
1: Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard that expression, immersive presence. I'm definitely going to gonna use that. It it reminds me of a, a client recently who we went through the, the mental fitness boot camp and just a couple of weeks in, he said, I just played the best game of my life that, uh, on the golf course this weekend. And I'm like, well, what a great side effect. Like precisely that, when you get practiced in being present, you've got all of your faculties available to you. And like you say, you're not getting ahead of yourself in the thoughts of like what's to come when Mm. we're when we're fully present that's when we do our best work
0: yeah the the prefrontal cortex is a very uh it's very valuable part of our brain but it doesn't really do us very good when we're trying to perform at anything and control has something to do with not present and the brain loves to control because it loves to know the outcome before it's going to happen so that it can relax yeah and anxiety i think more people are anxiety driven than they are depressive driven. Like there are not many people that are driven by their past, but they're really driven by their future and the anxiety of what if I don't achieve what I've set out to achieve? Or, what if this is a failure? They get wound up in that and that engages the prefrontal cortex because it's there to designed to keep you safe physically, mentally and emotionally. And if you got to find yourself in an ability to be present because anything else other than presence your prefrontal cortex is in charge.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the, the thing about control, like like you say, we're, we're all, to some extent, under the illusion that we're in control of our <laughs> lives. And, and sure, you can be intentional and you can put all of the um, processes in place to access your best potential as well as you can. But at the end of the day, stuff happens. Life is difficult. Um, unexpected things happen. And so... Having the confidence to, to navigate life on a, like a more kind of macro scale than we're talking about in flow here, but is really about trusting your, yourself and your own ability. Mm-hmm. And we talk about it's like learning to surf than trying to control the ocean. You, you can never hold back the ocean. It's just too well, a ridiculous image that brings to mind. Yeah. But you can learn to surf. So you may not be able to control the circumstances that come at you, but you can at least control your ability to stay on the board. Because don't you want to be the person that can, you know, lead through the hard times rather than crumble because of that? And that, on a micro level, is is what's happening when we when we choke in a sport.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Wow, that's a beautiful visual right there. Big reader. What are the, what are the books that have really pick a couple that have really played a huge role in your your life as it pertains to how it it touched your heart and came out of your mind?
1: Well, there's two that instantly come to to mind. One that I have in my bag today, but it was really the very first of my um, forays into reading the kind of pop psychology and economics books, which is The Undercover Economist, very much in the lines of Freakonomics, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing, Mm -hmm. because it's really like human behavioral systems, economies. It it really just boils down to... um, Ways that we can cause influence, the psychology on a subconscious level that we're affected by, Mm. like group dynamics and psychology. That's really. We're, we're like giant economic machines, our society, that, that you really can't necessarily tell what's going to happen when you put something in one end and what comes out the end of it. Very incredible, complex system. So I find that fascinating genre of books to read. And then the other one is a, is a fiction. I don't read much fiction unless it's usually award-winning. I want it to be... Um, tried and tested by people before Mm -hmm. I read things, but uh, Hilary Mantel Wolf Hall, which is a historical novel set in the time of, well, it's it's about Henry VIII and the whole Anne Boleyn thing. Hmm. Um, But the reason it's interesting to me is because it's about the politics and dynamics of people and watching power play out in big and small ways and all the subtle nuance of um, personality and, and drive and passion, so... Yeah, it's kind of a political Mm -hmm. novel. So I guess, again, the underlying theme is things that that touch on psychology and influence.
0: Mm -hmm. For sure, I'm in that same boat. I don't really read much fiction, but the fiction I do read is one of two authors, Dan Brown or John Grisham. Okay. Dan Brown being like Da Vinci Code, Angels and Demons, like the way he weaves conspiracy theory, politics, (laughs) and how life as you see it might not be exactly what you're seeing. I think that he does an amazing job in his books, and and John Grisham, I'm fascinated by lawyers and their ability to sway people with their words, their ability to to not know I guess, manipulation could be in a, in, a, but more than anything is to paint pictures with your words to convince people that they can do something. Sometimes that's a quit. Sometimes that's to, you know, to you know to put somebody away but John Grisham does an amazing job of telling stories about how to do that I love that stuff but most of what I do is is about taking people to the next level
1: yeah power persuasion and influence that's, it seems like we've got that in common that's exactly <laughs> right
0: so the the, la- the last question before I hit with the big one favorite movie
1: goodness favorite movie the big short
0: what a great one
1: i've watched it 20 times because well same thing right it's like what happens when we let decisions run wild and power and influence get out of control. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and I read the book as well, which is a lot more turgid than watching the movie, but really intensely interesting. Uh, but yeah, I mean the movie is great. That was that's the defining moment of like the last hundred years, right? One of
0: <laughs> one of for sure. But that that was incredible. That was an incredible. I didn't read the book, but I, it was an incredible movie, and I almost watched it again two nights ago. So yeah, I'm right there with you on that. Final question. And this comes from a what I'd call a social media leader. He's kind of a he's a deep thinker. His name is Jason Silva, and this is now probably six or seven years ago. And I I watch his stuff every day. And he was out on a walk, and he turned the phone on to himself, and he says, um, "You know, we all experience three deaths in our life. The first death is when you find out you're going to die. The second death is when you're gonna, when you die, and the third death." is the last time anybody ever mentions your name.
1: Hmm.
0: And then he, he looks gets really close to the phone and he says, uh, what are you doing to extend that third life? And I was like, whew. What is it that you feel about the third death? How are you going to keep, what is it you want to do leave behind so that when you're not here, people are still talking about you?
1: Well, the short answer is I've always said I will write a book, and I absolutely will. But, yeah, I think I feel like this part of my my life is precisely about leaving that that legacy. Mm -hmm. And what I want to do is pay forward all the things that I have learned, being an expat, being always the stranger in the strange land and navigating new territory you know people came out of the woodwork to help me to show me the ropes and i'm at a stage in my life now where i feel like maybe i've got some mastery and intention and control over this not not control as we've just talked about but Mm -hmm. like i kind of know the game maybe i've got the capacity to have some some influence now and the way i want to pay that forward is by having a ripple effect into in, in other people's lives. Like if I can teach you a technique or give someone the opportunity to reach their potential, that they maybe they wouldn't have taken that leap without me. I mean, that's phenomenal because that that cascades through people's lives. Mm-hmm. If I can encourage someone to go say that compliment to someone that you bump into in the bathroom and say what a nice dress they're wearing today and just spread that little bit of, happiness that's not transactional that's just like sprinkling your happy positive thoughts as you go through your your day Mm -hmm. like whatever it is that i can do through my coaching through my friendships through my community that just encourages people to be a little bit more of their best self and not hold that back from the world i would hope Mm -hmm. even if my Name is not being mentioned. That's not important to me. But how long does my influence
0: extend? Yeah, your essence.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. the legacy of essence, exactly.
0: Bonus question. You you get a chance to achieve everything that you've ever wanted to, to achieve, and they want to make a movie about your life. Who's playing you? Hmm...
1: Maybe Scarlett Johansson. Yes. That'd be great, right?
0: I love that. <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> Sally, how can my listeners get in touch with you to maybe get a chance to experience your coaching and take their, their life, their, their game to the next level? How can they get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, so um, you can reach me on my website, which is um, LC. Dot com so for Alchemy Life Coaching, alchemylc.com, or come find me on, on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm always there, Sally Ann Edmondson. There's only one of me, so <laughs> I'm easy to find.
0: Well, th- Sally, thank you so much for sharing your story, and uh, I look forward to uh, seeing you again really soon.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much.
0: You're welcome. On The Verge is produced by Chase acres. If you've enjoyed the show, leave a five-star rating and write a review. Click subscribe to make sure that you don't miss a single episode.